Welcome to Christ Church Anglican. We hope that you were blessed by today's sermon. So the last couple of sermons I've gotten to preach have really been great places of conviction for me, and this is no different. Um, it's amazing. It's almost like God knows what he's doing when we get these passages that we're supposed to work through. So sometimes I think in our lives we're given this opportunity, this gift of being humbled in a way that we're not exactly sure how we're supposed to feel. You've probably had them. I know I've had. And it's in this moments and in these moments that we have in, in humility and humbleness that we're confronted with this in, in a deluge of emotions pour over us. And I realize, and this is really a great lesson for me and maybe for all of us, I realize that all things are not held together by me. Um, I'm not necessary for everything to work. And I know that's surprising to some of you, but it's true. <laughs> things are not always better with me. I've left areas where I've worked and I've watched people that I've actually hired exceed me, go further, do more, be better than I could have ever been. And I got to be honest, at times it really fires me up. I really sense what God's doing in that moment. But other times I am a little struggle. I struggle a little bit with it because the reality of it is, is that in these moments, I realize that there's a part of me, the sinful part, the selfish part that wants to be the hero. And we see work that had gone into something and someone else seems to be bearing more fruit. Almost, if I allow myself to linger in that place, or if any of us do, I think it can feel like sometimes all of our work and effort has gotten missed, has gotten overlooked. And the reality I have to face is that these thoughts and feelings come from my own sinfulness, my own insecurities. And when that happens, I've missed completely what God has or has allowed me to be, has for me or has allowed me to be a part of. And more importantly, it has eliminated in me the ability to see that each stop along the way was not about me at all. I can only imagine this is a little bit of what John's disciples are feeling as we looked at the gospel reading for today. For a season, they were the ones. Everyone came to John's disciples. They were all coming from all over the countryside, from everywhere, to be baptized. The last week's account, we know that John had been set apart. He's lived in preparation for the coming of the Messiah, and he called people to come and to repent. And people came, and they came in droves. They came to repent and turn from their sin, prepare the way of the Lord. And as we look today, we know that John and his disciples were doing an important work. However, they were just part of what was supposed to happen. They were setting the stage for what is now taking place with Jesus and his followers. That as John lived out his calling, he was fulfilling a prophecy. And his role was always, always going to be eclipsed by Jesus. John understood this. But much like Jesus' disciples in the future, and even maybe ourselves, John's disciples just couldn't fully comprehend what was happening around them. I don't want to villainize John's disciples or make them something they're not. I don't want to think that they're being sinister. Rather, the kind of confusion and sinfulness that comes from devotion to John. They loved John. They followed John. They went where he went. They saw the work that he was doing and what he was pushing and what he wanted people to come. Why? And so it was their devotion. And they see people coming to be baptized and noticing more and more people in this whole process are starting to go to this new group. To be honest, they were jealous and confused. And in verse 22, it says, After Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, 
And he remained there with them and was baptizing. And here's where the issue begins. Here's the rub. The disciples of John were also baptizing. And they've been baptizing. So who is this new group? And even though they've seen what had taken place, they're still confronted with the reality that people are beginning to go to someone else. So the two groups publicly doing the same thing. They're baptizing. The rub was that John's ministry was being eclipsed. It was being overtaken. His ministry was diminishing by the ministry of Jesus. And loyal disciples of John were jealous for John and felt threatened for themselves that they hitched themselves to the wrong horse had they counted on the wrong one. Things soon came to the surface as we look at verse 25 because this is really important. And it says, Now a discussion arose of some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. Now we don't know the full details of the conversation. Purification was a part of it. But we don't know fully what was going on in the conversation. But we do know this. Apparently, this Jewish man had questions that he wanted to be answered. And he went to him, to John's disciples, and said, So you're doing all of this. Whose whose baptism is superior? Why are people going over to him? Whose is more important and which has more purification? Maybe it was something like that. But as the questions were asked and the grumbling started, Confusion was high among John's disciples. And then they came to John. They rallied it up and they decided it's time to go talk to him. Rabbi, he who is with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he's baptizing and all are going to him. Now, I want to say this. This is probably a really emotional exaggeration. Everyone's not going to Jesus at this point. But they are, I mean, they're hyperbolically speaking, everyone, everyone's going. They've just forgotten about us. What about us? Everyone's going to him. And this is probably um, a hard thing for them to get on a human side. But his disciples were worried. And you can almost hear the side conversations and rumblings as John is confronted by his disciples. They're basically saying this to him. Rabbi, your star is sinking. Your ministry is diminishing. What are we going to do? The implication was they're not going to allow John to take a backseat to anyone else. Some of John's faithful were probably angry. They were certainly jealous. And you can feel the resentment. I want you to think at this point now, they're standing on either sides, maybe around the same place. And John's disciple basically said, okay, it's time for a gang fight. We're going after them. We're going to get them. Like they're taking our, they're taking our, our shine. And this is what John does. And we also know in this whole time as these these disciples are beginning to get threatened that there's this part. Um, John is being put in a position to be tempted. When they begin to talk, he has spent many years, his whole life, in fact, in loneliness, self-denial. He's lived in the wilderness. We know that he eats bugs and wears camel's fur and all these things. He is not probably overly accepted anywhere. He's faced rejection. He's faced alienation from the culture around him. And now, having experienced all the successes, people had come, that his time was here, he saw it suddenly begin to fade away. And I think this is something that all of us must face in our lives. No matter who you are, no matter how much success in ministry or as your ministry goes, no matter what we're having sooner or later, And our lives and our ministries will be eclipsed. The most successful, competent, or famous will one day be asked, 
to take a lesser role. And we all need to know how to react in such a time. At one point, Michael Jordan was asked, is anyone ever going to surpass your accomplishments? And he said, there's someone on a court or in a gym somewhere that surely will be better than I am. Even the very best will be eclipsed at some point. Even the hardest of work in our ministries, every part of it, you will be surpassed as God has planned and ordained. Now, I want you to hear this. It's really important that we know how to respond. And this text that we're studying is important because even among believers, there can be just a regrettable competition. Even here, there can be competition. There can be sinful comparisons as we take out our spiritual tape measure to see who has the most knowledge or maybe who is the most important or the most important role or maybe the most moral or seems to get more attention. The Bible itself records this inherent struggle in the church. One of the greatest examples is the experience of the Apostle Paul as he's under house arrest in Philippi. And as he writes in Philippians 1, 15 and 17, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. While he was in prison, Paul was troubled by what he saw, what he heard, that some were proclaiming Christ out of selfish ambition. In fact, the way this word is translated, this ambition is literally a political ambition for position, for esteem, for power. And there's a great deal of competition, even in the church today and among believers. Our competitive society is structured such. It's to compel us to measure achievements against the others around us. Are we sinful in those places? Are we measuring ourselves not by what God has given us, but by the people around us? I want you to get this. This is really important. What John is really saying, if someone has a different gifts or different calling that seems superior or it appears they're having greater success, it's because God's given them these gifts. That's the proper posture that we're to take, to evaluate, to look at, to celebrate the successes of others. This is not a diminishment of what God has called us to or what he's given us. But it really, it gives us clarity in these situations like this. We don't work harder to have more success in our ministry. We don't earn them all these gifts that are bestowed upon us. What we are given is to bring glory to God as the God that we serve, not ourselves. In fact, we're to celebrate the successes of others because I want you to hear this, and I'm going to say it over and over for the rest of the sermon. A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. This can be hard on a human level, but this is the proper way to evaluate our own successes, to look at our own life and what God's doing. There can be an unhappy struggle and human tendency to play down what is happening around us of the people that are needing to be uplifted. And that's important. But we have a tendency to go the other direction. Sometimes if we see someone else doing well, or it seems that their shine is shining a little brighter, we may begin to say things like, well, I mean, they've, they were in the right place at the right time. They had a golden spoon in their mouth. Of course, of course they had it. They had every advantage that we never had. But if we happen to be particular and we see things 
particularly successful, and we see things in our life really going well, it usually goes the other direction, doesn't it? It's about our prowess, our intelligence, our hard work, our likability, our popularity. Everyone knows that I should be shining. But the proper posture is not to look at ourselves and evaluate as a measuring stick compared to what people around us are doing or what's right next to us. Because we have to have the proper, proper perspective and posture of a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to them from heaven. Again, I want to stress to you that we, whether we're looking at ourselves or other regarding success, the proper posture is not to enter into the trouble of comparison with those around us. Comparison in this way only steals our joy. It ruins our relationships and denies God what God may be doing in our lives and others. Isn't the beginning of sin when man fell really even a comparison to God? If you eat from this, you will be just like God, knowing good and evil. But remember, after all, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from God above. John understood his role and what his God-given call and purpose was. He got it. God is sovereign. He, God is a sovereign bestower of gifts. He gives them to us freely. John could tolerate being eclipsed by another, especially Jesus, because he knew that God does not make mistakes. God has created each of us with the gifts and the abilities for his purpose. And that if each of us use our gifts with the proper perspective and recognition in our own lives, that we're able to recognize and even celebrate the gifts and successes of others that God has given, it's because God has given them. Our equal importance is that John's response and this is really important for us as well, was grounded in overwhelming desire for God's glory, not for his own. We can easily see that John truly lived this out. It was never about him. In verse 28, he digs down a little deeper. He says, you yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have sent before, been sent before him. John answered that he knew who he was. So I would say John has a pretty good self-image, pretty self-secure in who he is in Christ. The overall tone of his response was freedom. He knew his place and his role. He joyfully accepted the differences between himself and the one who gave him his purpose. He lived in a way where he understood and knew that he would never, ever be more important than the one who sent him. And the, or the one that he was called to serve. So in John's life, there was not even a little bit of rivalry or jealousy or insecurity or bitterness. And this is really hard if we don't have the proper perspective in our lives. Have you ever felt outdone, outclassed, eclipsed? Has someone come into your life who seems more gifted, more effective? Someone you're finding difficult even to accept? the position that they've fallen into. You need to remember in God's economy, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from God, from heaven. It's also important for each of us to maintain a proper attitude. The one who has a bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoice, rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. Now John portrayed his feelings toward the ministry of Christ 
and using a, her, a Hebrew wedding as an illustration. He said he was like the best man, like the friend of the bridegroom. I don't know how many of you have been in the wedding, but I hope that you weren't standing there in great jealousy and envy of the, of your, of the groom who was standing up there. You don't see that a whole lot. Um, but he uses this wedding, and I want to give you what's really important. Deacon Joe and our staff time this week pointed out that I wanted to share with you. The friend of the bridegroom had a unique place in a Jewish wedding. He acted as the liaison between the bride and the bridegroom. He arranged the wedding. He took out the invitations. He presided at the wedding feast. He brought the bride and the bridegroom together. And he had only one special duty. It was his duty to guard the bridal chamber and to let no false lover in. He would only open the door. When in the dark, he heard the bridegroom's voice. And he recognized it. And when he heard the bridegroom's voice, he was glad and let him in. And he even went away rejoicing, for the task was completed. John the Baptist said he found his fullness of joy in his master's voice. Not in the task that he was given, but in his master's voice. We too are to find joy in Christ's voice and his leading. But it's a double joy for us because we're, as members of the church, as members of the body, we're not just the bridegroom, the best man. We are the bride of Christ. We are the beloved. On a relational level, this suggests that the proper attitude for fellow, towards fellow believers who are shining brightly is to share the joy of their accomplishments just like a best man. This is rooted in one of the great metaphors in scriptures, the body of Christ. We talk about it a lot, but listen to this. From 1 Corinthians, as Paul has written it, 1 Corinthians 12, 26. If any one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. From a human perspective, John the Baptist faced temptation that could have easily overcome him. He had been at the crest of his popularity. He was known from all over. People, all segments of society came out to see him. Some were even saying he was one of the prophets of old. He was the, re he was the, he was the incarnation. He was the new Elijah. I mean, all of this, people are saying these great, great things. And yet, um, even the king, Herod himself was listening. But now his crowds were diminishing. His ministry was being eclipsed, yet John rejoiced. No wonder we read in Matthew eleven eleven where it says, Truly I say to, to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. His humility was the key to his greatness, and it's the key to any greatness of our own. Whether we serve in a great or small place, we should rejoice in the success of others, and what God is doing in our own lives and how he's chosen to use us. Because we are bound together in Christ. For the body to be healthy, we don't fight against it. And finally, in, the, finally in verse 30, we're given the proper response in our conduct. He must increase, I must decrease. There's no other way to live for Christ. This is a critical call and a critical, critical imperative. It must not be an option. It is a must of our lives. How are we to approach situations that arise that in many ways can be so humbling? Whether it's happening now in your life 
or has happened before or when it comes in the future, what is our attitude? What is your attitude? We should exalt others' gifts and ministries and rejoice over every great work and the growth of other believers that are using their gifts, that call that they've been given, that God himself has given them. It's also incredibly important to recognize the gifts and ministry that God has given each of us. Each of you have been bestowed gifts. Each of you have a calling. If the work of others is for the glory of God and for the growth of the kingdom, then how can we respond any differently than to rejoice? It's not about me, and it's not about you. It's about what God is doing through the body, through each of us. I have a friend who asks me every time I'm with him, Whose name are you making big this week? Your own or God's? He must increase. I must decrease. Are we being eclipsed or in the process of being eclipsed? It will happen. Someone or some group will become, hopefully not, the focus maybe of our envy or jealousy, or will it become the focus of our joy? Is there someone whose success you secretly begrudge? God has called us to a proper posture. A person cannot receive even one let thing unless it is given him from heaven. He has called us to the proper attitude. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears rejoices greatly. He has called us to proper conduct. He must increase, but I must decrease. Is God speaking to you about these things? As we prepare our hearts during Advent, it's a time to examine them, to pay attention to the places that we're holding on to, the animosity or anger or jealousy or something that we may be holding against someone. Maybe it's conscious and maybe it's unconscious. Celebrate and give thanks for what God is accomplishing in others and even ourselves. Celebrate, celebrate God in this. How much more joyful, how much freer we could all be if we truly live like John the Baptist it's not for our own glory, but for the glory of God, and that everything comes from his generosity and grace, because he must increase, and I must increase, or decrease, sorry. A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. For more information, feel free to visit us online at ccanglican.com. We hope you will join us again soon.